my confusedness confusedness that's that's, it's a word now yeah (laughs) that's me every day (laughs) i'm always confused i would say how have you been but i've been with you for the yeah rachel and i went to a fun like witchcraft arts and crafts fair today we spent too much money we spent way too much money but we got lots of good stuff so (laughs) it's okay lots of goodies look at that the nail that i painted this morning is already chipped sorry this is why okay so like (laughs) as much as it's annoying to, um, I have acrylic nails. Y'all, this is the first time I've ever had acrylic nails. I, so talk about like growth as a person. I used to make fun of people who had those nails. I still make fun of people who have really, really long ones because I don't understand how you function as a human. I don't either. really, really long nails. How the fuck do you wipe? That is the most important question. (laughs) (laughs) You find ways. Uh. (laughs) These are, um, probably won't let them get too much longer but i have to have them be kind of long to have the coffin shape yeah so i went with the coffin shape and yes. um because it's spooky season it's we are spooky season recording on october 2nd yeah um i forgot so very what this was all sad. about I don't know oh i was talking about my shift nail oh yeah i just painted yesterday yes i also use really cheap dollar store nail polish so that might also be a thing it could be a thing but also my like thirteen dollar OPI nail polishes do the same thing. So okay, so they <laughs> use OPI at the nail salons, and I'm always like, how does your stuff not chip? Because but mine they does. use base coat, and then they use the nail polish, and then they use the top coat, and then they do something magical in the back. <laughs> I don't they, know. They they whisper a spell <laughs> yeah. over the nails. Yeah. Um, Oh man. So that's what I was gonna say is oh, yeah. annoying as it is to like go every three weeks. Like they I don't do chip press on nails, those sound fun. I've always wondered how you I mean how you take them off, but I mean it's the same thing. I had to look this up. I was like, when the time comes, how do these come off? Lots of crying? I don't know. You can soak them in some ASMR for you. <laughs> you can soak them in acetone and then they'll Yeah, I eat the glue. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> this is not a podcast about nail polish and no, not nail at all. art and <laughs> things. And crafting festivals. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Don't come over here with your wet mustache! <laughs> this is not a podcast about Thor either. Oh my god. <laughs> this is... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to do this. You are listening to Difficult Danzels. Difficult Danzels. What kind the of podcast, podcast is this? It's cat? a podcast about badass difficult women from history. Sometimes problematic women from oh, history. Most of the time problematic, but <laughs> yeah, we like them because they're problematic. Why are you licking my foot? Get out of here. Go. Back we up. like no. them because they're interesting too. Yes. Um, and we try we try to give the context of why they did or were the way they were. Well, hello, buddy. You're so cute. You're so cute. Sorry, Thor decided now was the time that he wanted to get love. Go away. I love you. Go away. Go away. Go. No, you're not laying there. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's funny because like the last couple of episodes, we haven't had to deal with the zoo that is my house. Are you going to lay right there? Get out of here. Oh my God. <laughs> Are you serious? And now we're back in my house. So now we're dealing with the zoo that is my house. It's fun. It's yeah. Really fun. All, you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. Izzy's playing with a spring. 
And she's playing fetch, and Thor's chewing on the loudest Thor, toy possible. Of course. <laughs> I missed it, though. But anyway, I'm Kat. And I'm Rachel. And we're here to talk to you about, about women from history. It's <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be a segue into Elizabeth part four. Yeah, we are on, um, this is, I think, God, episode 44? Yeah. Elizabeth right. part four. Yeah, this will be the conclusion to our Elizabeth series and also to our European Wars of Religion series. Heck yeah. All right, so I guess just kind of jump back into it, yeah? Yeah. Do you need a reminder where we kind of left off? Yeah. So when we last left off, um, Mary Queen of Scots had been under house arrest for a bit of time and she was getting restless. Um, The plotting is starting up again. Okay. And Spain is being Spain. It's yeah. annoyed with everybody. I know Thor. That was a big verb. Same. <laughs> so during the early 1580s. <laughs> That's Finn and he has a toy. He's like, I want to tell the story. Now it's my story okay. to tell. <clears throat> during the early 1580s. The European landscape was fast changing. You might hear Finn. Finn is just going to be talking the whole time. Yeah. I'm, we're just going to go with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's our fourth co-host. Yeah. Philip II annexed Portugal into his kingdom, Portugal. expanding Spain's empire on the world stage, as if he weren't big enough. Yeah, yeah, That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Not to Philip. No, no. <laughs> France was plagued with a new round of religious wars. England was experiencing it's just never ending. Oh, gosh. <laughs> England was experiencing an influx of Jesuit priests determined to restore Catholicism to the country, funded by both Spain and Rome to undermine Elizabeth's religious policies. Are those the, the spy priests? Yes. Spy priests? Yes. Double O priest? Yeah, that's that's pretty much what they were. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And Mary Stuart oh. grew increasingly restless in captivity, renewing efforts to escape. Robert, girl, you have it nice considering, like, yeah, you're lucky you still have your head. Well, she won't for much yeah, longer. Yeah, you keep it up. <laughs> Robert Dudley was still on the outs with Elizabeth as well, who was resentful that he had married Letty Snollies without her knowledge. Oh, yeah. And in 1581, Francis Drake returned from his trip around the world, wealthier than he had been before due to having procured Spanish naval ships and confiscating their goods. Through opportunistic piracy. <laughs> I mean privateering. <laughs> it's state sanctioned, so it's privateering. It's still piracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's Spain. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> We're all probably cheering in the background. Sorry for Spanish. <laughs> Once back in England, Drake begged his queen for protection, fearing retribution from Spain should she decide to turn him over. Elizabeth famously refused to punish Drake and instead invited him to dine with her and regale her with tales of his adventures. Yeah, I want to hear about all that you did to just <laughs> right? piss Spain off. Yes, please. <laughs> Elizabeth allowed Drake to keep most of the t- treasure he had stolen from Spain after commandeering her own portion. Yeah, yeah. She's like, okay, now give me half. <laughs> Pretty much. Francis Drake was then knighted for his efforts and became a celebrity in his own time, while his exploits helped to fill Elizabeth's coffers. Heck yeah. And Spain, Spain got nothing. Yes. <laughs> because Spain took everything else. <laughs> Especially from everybody else. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Spain was no longer willing to overlook the heretic, meddlesome queen in England, and in preparation for an invasion, it begins to invest heavily in, into its own naval fleet. 
To add more fuel to the Molotov cocktail that was brewing, Rome renewed a previous papal bull that sanctioned military action by foreign princes against Elizabeth and released her Catholic subjects from obeying her yet again. Wow. This set the stage for part four of Elizabeth. Yes! In May of 1582, Francis Walsingham's spy network uncovered a cipher written by Mary Stuart, suggesting that she was once again scheming and plotting. Girl, just sit down and enjoy (laughs) the life that you have. So just a little bit of an update on Mary, Queen of Scots. She is approximately 14 years into captivity at this point, and she has been placed under the watchful eye of George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury. I know you love that name. I love it so much. (laughs) Shrewsbury. And you have to say it like that every time. Shrewsbury. The Earl of Shrewsbury. (laughs) And his formidable wife, Bess of Hardwick. Bess. Bess is one of the most powerful and wealthy women in England, the sort of ambitious and hard-nosed woman that occasionally gave even Elizabeth a run for her own money. Isn't she Elizabeth one of Elizabeth's good friends? She's one of the, like, most prominent female nobles of the land, also one of the wealthiest because she had, like, many husbands who died conveniently, um, not even due to her. She just lucked out. Oh, shit. Do you remember right. that? I kind of sort of do. Yeah. Yeah. They just... One died under suspicious circumstances, but it was his brother, and she just kept inheriting all their wealth. She's like, well, I'm here now. I'm here now. Exactly. (laughs) The Lord put me on this path. (laughs) Rumors would eventually come out that Mary tried to seduce George, which may sound insane to us, but it wouldn't be the first time a captor managed to be be bewitched by her. Yeah, isn't that how she escaped the one island castle? Yes, in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She emotionally seduced him. I love that you had that emphasis on emotionally seduced yes. him. <laughs> you can, okay. Um, all you have to do it's is- It's called a- manipulating. <laughs> like, legit, all you have to do is ask a dude, like, how's your day going and how's your mom been? And suddenly they're like, oh my God, I love you. Not all men have mom issues, but most do, yes. <laughs> well, I'm like, I'm just being nice to you. This is how I treat yeah, my female right? friends. Okay? Raise your standards, please. <laughs> Rachel speaking from experience. <laughs> I mean, I've been there too. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's what she did basically. Yeah. She's like, hi, so how's this? How's your day going? Oh my God, that cabbage soup looks great. <laughs> how's your sister? Did she and her boyfriend get married yet? <laughs> Emotional seduction. <Yes. laughs> Emotional seduction. I don't know why I had to make a song. But... I'm the happiest song now. <laughs> Mary was growing restless though, looking for any outlet she could find that led to freedom. The cipher that Walsingham uncovered revealed that Mary was trying to shore up support in Scotland again to help facilitate her escape. The intention was to co-rule with her young son, James. Do you remember what happened there? With James? Yeah. Didn't he get mad at her? He was just like, nah. Yeah. I'm not. Because I, I, yeah, he, Elizabeth is basically more of a mom figure to him right now than Mary is because he was really young when she had to run away. Yeah. So right now he's in his... He's, like, 19 or 20, but he's now at the point where, like, he's a fully formed human, and he's like, I don't want to share my power with my meddlesome mother. My mother who (laughs) literally can't stop getting herself into trouble. (laughs) Yeah, James the Sixth of Scotland and James the First of England. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, because there were no Jameses before him. He was James the Sixth. (laughs) It's two different crowns. No! (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) Spoiler alert. 
So yeah, so he just, he really didn't want to deal with his mother and he also didn't want to risk Elizabeth's wrath and jeopardize his, jeopardize? (laughs) I mean, it's fine. (laughs) Jeopardize his potential for being her successor to the English throne. Always going to say jeopardize now. Jeopardize. Jeopardize. (laughs) Mary's plot did not go anywhere, but it once again put her on the map and both Walsingham and William Cecil began to survey her more thoroughly. Yeah, because Cecil does not want her, he, he didn't want her to be anywhere near England yeah. period because he's like she's gonna cause issues and weird she's causing issues <laughs> and then Walsingham I believe had been the one who was in France during the St. Bartholomew's yeah. Day massacre so he was not gonna risk a Catholic coming yeah to he's the like throne. fuck you and your Catholicism because you killed all of my friends <laughs> the following year after this plot was discovered Elizabeth celebrated her 50th birthday damn I just realized that she's also Mary's also closely not like related, but closely connected to Catherine and Medici and everyone who did that. So yes, that could be. <laughs> well, I remember she was like said to have cheered it on. Yeah. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yes. Anyway, we already had that talk. <laughs> I mean, speaking of all of that. <laughs> so later that year, another conspiracy was unearthed by Walsingham's informers, suggesting there were malcontents intent on removing Elizabeth by force and putting Mary Stewart in her place. Elizabeth is like, come at me. Implicated in the plot were the fanatical geese faction. God damn the geeses! <laughs> so this is when um, the geeses, um, and these are basically Mary's cousins, are conspiring. These are Mary's meddlesome cousins. <laughs> yeah. They're conspiring with Spain to basically invade England, and Mary's cousin intended to marry her himself and then take the English throne. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Also implicated in the plot was the Spanish ambassador to England, Bernardino de Mendoza, and Mary Stuart herself. Jesus. Their liaison in England was Francis Throckmorton, an English Catholic nobleman. I know, it's quite a name. Throckmorton. <laughs> uh, for which the plot was named, so it's called the Throckmorton. Oh yeah. Throckmorton Did plot. Did you just say this last time? Yeah, I don't think okay. I did. I don't think I went into You didn't the go detail. into it, yeah. But you said his name, and I, I think you were like, know him. I'm like, okay. The plot was predictably disorganized like the others <laughs> before it, and was snuffed out before it could even go anywhere. Cecil was like, really? Come on, at least try. <laughs> Throckmorton was executed outside the Tower of London once his role was uncovered. Mendoza was dismissed from England, and Spain would never again send another ambassador to England for the duration of Elizabeth's reign. Yeah, because Elizabeth is like, I've had enough of your shenanigans and your bullshit, (laughs) so go away. (laughs) After the plot was uncovered, William Cecil and Francis Walsingham were both like, dude, enough's enough. Like, we gotta do something to get rid of her. nice. It didn't work. She's taking advantage of it. She's upping her game. (laughs) In 1584, the bond of association was created and required all English lords to execute any person found guilty of the following. Attempting to usurp the throne of England, successfully usurp the throne of England, make an attempt on Elizabeth's life, and success or successfully assassinate Elizabeth. So basically what they did with this bond of association was they had all the main nobles of England sign it to say we're all on board. Guess who all signed it? Mary. Oh. So Mary signed it herself. But she's not a lord of... She's, it's to pledge her loyalty. Oh, okay. Okay. 
So not long after this, it's uncovered that Mary Stewart had knowledge of the plot. And so she is removed from the Earl of Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. (laughs) (laughs) And Bess of Hardwick's custody to the castle of Tutbury, which was notoriously drabbier and drearier than her Well, yeah, you had a a five-star setup and you decided that you didn't want the five-star setup. So this is what happens. You get thrown in the castle. Surveillance of Mary's correspondences increased, and Mary experienced more severe conditions that significantly limited her communication with the outside world. Yeah, she gets to talk to no one. Like <laughs> You get nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that Mary had found ways to smuggle out ciphers in the past, Walsingham enlisted the recently captured Catholic priest named Gilbert Gifford to help spring his trap. Gilbert Gifford? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I did not make that name up. Oh, shit. <laughs> Gifford Gifford was to tell Mary that she could smuggle letters to the outside world in a beer barrel using a waterproof wooden box to hide her correspondences in. What wooden box is waterproof? I don't know. It's probably like a, it's probably like lace or laced, um, lined with lead. Either that or it's like some kind of lard. Maybe. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it was great. So one of the local brewers happily supplied his barrels to Gifford when requested, believing that he was helping Mary orchestrate her escape, and he would never find out that he was unwittingly part of the conspiracy to entrap oh, her. Oh, shit. I love... What did you say? Something his barrels? It sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> Supply his barrels? Supplying his barrels! All right. Jesus. <laughs> no one needs to know that. <laughs> Predictably... Mary delivered. When she contacted Gifford, they exchanged a series of correspondences through the barrel method. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) Walsingham had a team work to decode the ciphers of her correspondences, record them, and then send them on to their intended receivers so that the plot could develop naturally as they followed every step of the way. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Come on. Kind of ingenious. Like, it's ingenious, but also like Mary should have known. How many plots have you been fucking found, maybe sort of kind of involved I, in? And uh, we talk we're not gonna get into Mary's side of this because we talk about I it know. in depth. She's at the end of her rope. Yeah. Too. Like she everything that happens to her is her own fault, but yeah. she she's dug herself into a corner. Yeah. So oh, just remember Elizabeth tried, people. <laughs> After that, it was just a matter of waiting until Mary incriminated herself. Elizabeth was careful never to publicly sanction any conspiracies against Mary, but it is generally accepted that she knew and was updated every step of the way. Yeah. One of the letters had been written to Mendoza in Spain, sanctioning the Spanish invasion of England. Another letter would help uncover the famed Babington plot, which would ultimately be the noose that Mary created to hang herself with. Through the correspondences, they learned that a Catholic priest named John Ballard had infiltrated England and conspired with the English Catholic Lord, Anthony Babington, to rally the Northern Catholics of England into rebellion. But John Ballard fell into the trap so many foreign priests fell victim to before, namely in overestimating the level of support English Catholics had when it came to removing Elizabeth. Turns out they were actually pretty nationalistic and... um, they actually liked her. Yeah, because she wasn't an asshole like Philip, and she wasn't she wasn't killing ninety people a day like Mary Tudor. <laughs> and she and then, of course, she's no Catherine de Medici. Exactly, thirty thousand. <laughs> like we haven't people. been pulled out of our houses yet and murdered in the streets. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. we're okay. So right we're now. okay. We're good. <laughs> and really, she's 
worked very hard to make it so that that yeah. kind of stuff doesn't happen. Exactly. Like she's actually going out of her way to make sure everyone's safe. <laughs> Weird how royals do that for their people. Walsingham's informants kept him up to date on the state of the plot every step of the way. All he needed was for Mary to deliver the ace in the Damn whole letter. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And on July 17th, 1586, Mary finally penned the famed letter that sanctioned the assassination of Elizabeth and usurpation of the English throne pending her rescue from captivity. That's a big freaking jump. But like you said, she's at the end of a rope. Yeah. Jesus. Um, Can you imagine how you would feel as Elizabeth to like have done all this, all this strategic maneuvering to get Mary to not die and then Mary's like, and also, I'm going like, to assassinate her. And you're like, excuse the fuck out of me. <laughs> it, in Mary's defense, it was kind of, it's the understanding. Here's the thing when it comes to like these monarchies and these rivalries. It doesn't start personal. Yeah. But there is the understanding that in order for one person to be removed, they basically have to be killed. And yeah. You see this in Game of Thrones. Yeah. You see it in House of the Dragon. It's, it's just, it, it, I would just be so mad if I was Elizabeth to be like, dude, I tried so hard. Yeah, she, uh, she, <laughs> I can't talk. She yeah. even tried to like put her back on the Scottish throne. Yeah. 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 John Ballard and Anthony Babington were captured and moved to the Tower of London. Ballard was notoriously tortured on the rack to help reveal more members of the conspiracy. To help reveal more? Look, he's not helping as far as. <laughs> uh, he, they got more names out no, of yeah, him. Oh, yeah. It just seems like a terrible, terribly like mellow word for what is going on with him (laughs) he was really helpful was he (laughs) but he famously refused to name mary herself oh interesting okay Mm -hmm. both men were convicted of treason and sentenced to a traitor's death first they were hung until nearly dead then castrated and had their bowels removed while still alive oh my god shown to them and then after that they were beheaded and quartered that's very aggressive. That is... I mean, that's what happens when you plot to is, kill a monarch, but still. That is the traitor's death. Jesus. Of the Renaissance era. So in what world would you go along with plots? <laughs> like, if that's your, like, consequence! Jesus. Um, and then, because of how gruesome the execution was... The people of London had initially shown up like bloodthirsty to see these deaths. Yeah, and then things started getting cra- real and crazy, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, they actually. I left the, the stove on. <laughs> they actually, uh, public opinion was so bad after that that Elizabeth had to um, make the other sentences lighter, less severe. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> the people of London were still eager for Mary to be brought to justice, though as they were very protective of their queen. Despite the fervor of public opinion and the urging of her privy council, Elizabeth was still reluctant to have Mary tried. The legality of trying a foreign monarch was questionable, and so Elizabeth summoned a group of lawyers to debate the legality of it. Mary herself initially refused to stand for trial, claiming to not be a subject of England and that as an anointed queen, she was only answerable to God. That's a problem right there. Yeah. But like, also, no, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, like you are a prisoner of England and you threatened the English exactly. queen. So yeah, you're gonna be tried in England for reasons. And that's that's exactly it. I don't so... think God condones murder either, but what do I know? <laughs> the lawyers confirm that Mary's actions against the crown made her subject to English law. Ah, so there you go. I could be a lawyer. I'm just kidding, I can't. <laughs> Elizabeth eventually responded to Mary's indignant responses about not being subject to Elizabeth or her English court in a very chilly letter. 
You have in various ways and manners attempted to take my life and bring my kingdom to destruction by bloodshed. It is my will that you answer the nobles and peers of the kingdom as if I were myself present. <laughs> Despite fervently denying the charges and claiming that Walsingham forged the most damning of correspondences, the evidence was overwhelmingly against her, and she was convicted of treason. Under the bond of association, this meant her punishment was death. Yeah. The only person that could sanction Mary's execution was Queen Elizabeth herself, and she notoriously delayed, dithered, and dragged her feet when it came to signing the execution warrant. Yeah, man. Well, Cecil's like, please don't put these on right now. Not, for, not <laughs> right like, now. Just do uh, it. No, Just do you it. can't no. have your... Why are you I'm asking not, for your slippers? These are only marriage okay? dragging slippers. These are not execution dragging slippers. <laughs> But public opinion was overwhelmingly in support of the execution, with Elizabeth's English lords and the commons all agreeing that it needed to be done for national security. There were multiple instances over the next few weeks where Elizabeth would issue a public proclamation for Mary's death, only to send an envoy over to Parliament to revoke the proclamation <laughs> and order everyone to take a recess for a couple of weeks. Oh my god! She did this a couple of times. I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth also delivered a couple of speeches that spoke to her reluctance, suggesting that to kill a fellow monarch would set a bad precedent, never mind the fact that Mary was a kinswoman and shared her blood. Although her lords were said to have sympathized, they refused to budge. The only way for Elizabeth to live and find any peace was for Mary to die. Elizabeth received envoys from all over the world pleading mercy for Mary's cause as well, namely from France and Spain both of whom promised vengeance should Elizabeth consent to executing a Catholic monarch. Whatever, you don't need an excuse. You just waiting for an excuse to come at England, so calm down. <laughs> Mary's son, King James, barely in his early 20s, publicly protested for the sake of rising public sympathy within Scotland. But privately, he informed Elizabeth that there was no sting in this death. But also, like, I love that Scotland's now like, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's like the people who don't like James as much. Yeah. Elizabeth's indecisiveness would go on to frustrate her courtiers for months until finally, in February 1587, the warrant was signed. The manner in which it was signed is still a subject of debate. <sighs> Some say that the warrant was shuffled into a stack of correspondences that Elizabeth signed blindly. Other accounts suggest that there were rumors floating around that Spain had already landed on English shores. Oh. And she was getting so frustrated with them, she finally just signed the warrant to be done with it. That's fair. I mean, you can only drag your feet for so long before you have to make a decision. What we do know is that the warrant was eventually dispatched to where Mary was being kept by Elizabeth's secretary, William Davidson. Elizabeth claims she told him not to deliver the warrant until she gave him her express permission to do so, and that he went along with the deed anyway. Ooh. So... <laughs> So this is where it gets convoluted. She was basically like, yes, I signed the death warrant. But I didn't say you could send it. And yes, I handed it to you. But it was for safekeeping. No. He's like, you don't pay me to safekeep, babe. You pay me to deliver messages. Well. He calls the Queen of England, babe. <laughs> well. Oh, no. Same problem. Oh, Anyway. <laughs> Both stories would later give Elizabeth the deniable plausibility needed to clear her conscience of the act and claim innocence to the foreign kings that would later condemn the deed. Do you feel like this was kind of sort of like William Cecil's like doing? Like all this? Everything. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying like the the uh, making her plausible 
giving oh, her sure. possible deniability. I'm sure. Like, I think yeah. he's like, look, I know you don't want to do this, so here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. He would totally do that. Yeah. Like, I feel like Elizabeth would do it, but I feel like she's so, like, distraught about doing it that she's not thinking straight. No, not at all. So I feel like William Cecil was like, look. On February 8th, 1587, Mary Stuart was beheaded in front of 300 English nobles that stood witness. But not before unveiling a red dress the color of martyrdom and promising retribution from the Catholic princes of Europe. That's insane. Mary, Queen of Scots, was finally dead. (laughs) Dramatically. (laughs) (sighs) Upon the announcement of Mary's death, Londoners poured out into the streets to the sound of trumpets, fanfare, and cheer. Impromptu feasts were thrown in the streets and the city celebrated for a week. Isn't that kind of crazy? I just don't like the idea of celebrating someone's death. Like, it's just, I mean, I say that, but there's some people who I would celebrate, but they're also like terrible people. I guess one way to look at it is this big. They're just happy it's over. They're not really celebrating her death. This cloud over them is finally supposedly lifted. Spoiler alert, it's not. But yeah. I feel like I, I know they're probably just celebrating the fact that this this one instance, this one yeah. event has closed that chapter, but still, it's, it's terrible. When Elizabeth received news of her cousin's death, she allegedly broke into a theatrical state of mourning and rage, probably throwing more of her slippers. Oh, no. <laughs> so like, please don't. <laughs> Whether or not this was a show put on to appease the Catholic countries of Europe is anyone's best guess. Well, she had to know. This doesn't. This isn't something that like happens overnight. You have to like set up to kill someone. So yeah. like she knew. <laughs> the repercussions for Elizabeth's court were very real, and she claimed they acted without her knowledge. So that could be problematic to say because now it's like, okay, so you're a queen of England who doesn't have control over yeah. her own court. Mm-hmm. Finan says that is not okay. <laughs> so Francis Walsingham fled court claiming to be sick. <laughs> He's like, I'm just going <laughs> to, you hear that? It's, I'll be back. <laughs> While Robert Dudley and the other lords were banished from court. Um, Dudley's back at this point. He'd helped to convince her to do this as well. Okay. William Davidson, the secretary responsible for delivering the death warrant, was imprisoned in the Tower of London and nearly executed before Elizabeth could be topped down, I believe, by William Cecil. Cecil's like, dude, we, dude. He's like, I need you, I need you to chill. We already had a death. Let's leave it at one. We knew this was coming. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He didn't really have a say. Yeah, he was very close to being executed. That would, oh God. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine going back to your job and like having a face and you're like, Given like the yeah. meanest, like, like what the fuck? <laughs> that he was he was put in a position there was there was no win yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. He he disobeys her and he's dismissed. And if he does the thing he's supposed to do, he's locked in the tower. So <laughs> just as Mary had prophesied, the Catholic world erupted in rage. The people of Paris, a notoriously Catholic city, donned the mourning colors of black and published pamphlets calling Elizabeth a Jezebel and promising the wrath of God would soon follow. King Henry III of France was said to have called Elizabeth a bastard and shameless harlot. Wow. And King Philip II of Spain was predictably outraged, publicly accusing her of lying and threatening vengeance. The Pope jumped on the bandwagon, using Mary's execution as justification to encourage a new crusade against the heretical Queen of England. The Pope was already on the bandwagon. Yeah, he's on and (laughs) off of it. And Philip was the perfect figurehead to wage a righteous war against England, as rumor had it that Mary named him as her new successor in place of her heretical Protestant son, James. Oh my god. (laughs) Philip, you just need to sit down for a minute. 
They're like, Philip, slow, slow your roll a little slow bit. Slow your roll, honey. <laughs> the entire- You're driving everyone crazy. <laughs> the entire time the drama with Mary, Queen of Scots had been going on, England had also sent troops into the Netherlands to try and counter the Spanish presence there. Oh. This is the other thing going no. on against Spain. Yeah. I'm literally happening, like, parallel wow. to these last few plots. It was the first time Elizabeth had sanctioned military intervention into a foreign country. Much courtly politicking had been involved. <laughs> Robert Dudley had been granted the lead for the expedition into the Netherlands as a last chance at glory. It was the first time he was back in combat after nearly 30 years. How old is he? He's a little older than her, so probably mid-50s. 50 yeah. Yeah. Maybe okay. a little older. Can you imagine going to battle at 50? Like, I can't even go to battle at 32. I'm like, no, I'm okay here. <laughs> I mean, he's probably not fighting in the battle. He's the commander. That's so stand there and take all the glory. There was a lot of grandstanding and peacocking on Dudley's part. <laughs> Elizabeth, sounds right. Elizabeth was weary of a prolonged conflict, frugal with both the crown's money and the human lives that would be lost. You mean a monarch gives a shit about the human lives you would lose? Jesus. <laughs> unlike, unlike her father, Elizabeth yeah. had no designs of military glory or expanding the English Empire. Such endeavors were way too costly. See, this that's is what she's why women <laughs> should rule, because we don't care about glory. <laughs> I care about glory. I mean, you can get glory But not in this war. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yet Dudley wanted glory for himself and his stepson, Robert Devereux. Remember the name. Oh, no. <laughs> It'll come up later. Oh, no. The Dutch were excited for English intervention, having asked for it several times over the years. Um, they basically also wanted Elizabeth to claim the Dutch crown and pull them into her because they're Protestant. Okay. And they're constantly fighting against they're like, Spain. Take us. Yeah. Basically. We volunteer as tribute. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Elizabeth was like, I can't afford to keep troops stationed there. Yeah. Problematic. And so the Dutch turned to Dudley. Oh, no. Robert Dudley uh, famously mismanaged the war in the Netherlands, but he was charming and passionate enough that even the Dutch fell for him, much like everyone else. They're like, did. you're fucking us over, but we kind of like you. <laughs> and it's a very high. confusing time. You're very attractive, yeah. sir. Yeah, sir. That saving face is working for us. <laughs> and soon he was named by the Dutch as the governor of the Netherlands. Stop it. <laughs> Elizabeth is like, but how? You fucked this up. <laughs> Elizabeth was predictably outraged by the audacity of Dudley and was said to have been extra prickly and volatile while Dudley was away. Oh my god, when is she not prickly and whatever, <laughs> volatile when Dudley's away? <laughs> um, it's also assumed that part of her like perpetual bad mood was the fact that he wasn't around either. That's, she missed him. Yeah. By the time Robert Dudley came back home, he was an older man in failing health, no longer up to the task of being upbraided by Elizabeth one moment and praised the next. Oh, no. It was only after it became clear that Spain was planning their invasion that Dudley came back to court, knowing his queen would need his help in preparation for the defense of England. Jeez. England was not a military power during the late 16th century. It had no standing army and a very small naval force. Elizabeth understood that if Spain managed to make landfall, they were pretty much dead ducks in the water and would likely be steamrolled. Yeah. It was Elizabeth's hope that she could still negotiate peace terms with Spain, but in the event that she could not, she started to invest in the defense of England's harbors and coastal fortifications. That's smart. She also set to work strengthening her navy by funding the construction of new ships, 
and all along the coastline, a chain of beacons were installed so that they might be lit to signal the arrival of Spanish troops. You guys, this is what planning ahead looks like. <laughs> so think the beacons of Gondor in Lord okay. of the Rings. Okay. That's exactly what she did. I like it. On May 30th, 1588. Actually, you know what? Really quick. The dates are weird in this time period. What so do you like, mean the dates are weird? So in the 1700s, the calendar was updated. Oh my god. <laughs> So, um, when you look up dates online, I went based off the book I've been reading, but I was trying to like make comparisons to online. And I was like, these dates are off by a couple of months because of, so what, some, they add months. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what happened in the 1700s, oh, no. but basically the calendar was updated. So some of the dates you see online are like before that calendar was updated. And then some, yeah. Uh, it's part just, of the Catholics. Like we need more days to... <laughs> praise jesus and take just, your money just know that like I'm, I'm going off the dates i read in in the book um but they might not fully match like what you see online. i mean even if, if you hadn't said something i would have trusted your dates it was implicitly. a thing i noticed so i wanted to bring it up oh, okay anyway right. <laughs> random virgo things <laughs> so on may 30th 1588 the spanish armada officially set sail for england with a total of 130 ships and approximately thirty thousand men jeez Commanding them was the Duke of Medina Sidonia. On board the ships were thousands of printed copies of the papal bull that sanctioned the invasion and invited English subjects to fight against Elizabeth. English <laughs> subjects are like, fuck you. They're basically, <laughs> yeah, they're to be distributed once oh they land. <laughs> the English are like, you are justified to join us. Thanks for not <laughs> killing me, but like, fuck off. <laughs> England had a fleet of 150 ships, most of which were anchored in the harbor outside of Plymouth. Admiral Lord Howard of Effingham had the command. I'm going to call him Effingham. Effingham. And <laughs> Sir Francis Drake was his second. Yes. <laughs> Sir Francis Drake is like, I should be first. <laughs> the Armada sailed through the English Channel on its way to France and the Netherlands, where it intended to join up with the Duke of Parma, um, who had 16,000 more Spanish troops. Whoa. So pull your phone out. I have a map. She has the maps. <laughs> we'll have this map online so you can see the trajectory of the can't remember supposed it. We'll have the map online. <laughs> the Spanish Armada. I think I'll remember this. Okay. Let's see. It's been a while since we've had maps. I know. <laughs> You've deprived of, us of maps. Well now you get some you maps. Bastard. You get the maps. We get the maps. Spanish galleons. Is it galleons? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> were visible from the southern beaches of England as they sailed by. The earliest engagements of the conflict involved Effingham chasing after the Armada and harrying their ships after nightfall, and then breaking off before the Spanish galleons could position themselves to retaliate with cannon fire. So That's... they took off from Lisbon, and they went up this way. So they were basically trying to get here to the Netherlands to pick up Parma. And Isn't in... this where all the boats are? All yes, the ships, all the exactly. Boats. <laughs> So even as they're on their way to go get more troops, England can see them. England's like, Isn't yeah, that... you're not hiding. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine how terrifying that is yeah, seeing okay. all of these. Just be, imagine how terrifying it is living in this time where you like have to pick and choose which religion you want and you have to flip back and forth to survive. And okay. then you have to deal with everyone fighting everyone. And you're like, I just need food. You're I like, would just like to I'm eat. just a... <laughs> wool dyer okay yeah. i'm dying clothes yeah. please leave me Can alone you just have your battles at sea so we are not punished the other thing um to kind of, of handing out fucking flyers like 
The other thing to keep in mind about these two different navies. So the Spanish Navy is very disciplined. They have larger boats. They are probably better equipped as far as like their cannons go. Yeah. But the English Navy um, is swifter. It's easier Mm -hmm. to maneuver in and out of combat. So that's the tactics that are going off against each other. Okay. Okay. On July 29th, 1588, the Spanish Armada stopped outside the French city of Calais. Calais! Still etched on Mary Tudor's heart (laughs) (laughs) to join up with the Duke of Parma and his forces. But they say Parma, I just think of Parmesan cheese. That's terrible. (laughs) The Duke of Parmesan cheese. (laughs) The Duke of Parmesan. Um, But there's a couple of things going on that prevent Medina's armada from meeting up with Parma's men. So basically, uh, because of where they're positioned, because they've got the Netherlands. basically working against them yeah it's really hard to communicate with the land forces Good. and then on top of that the dutch navy is also um helping on england's behalf yes so they have their well, yeah own... because dudley is the governor of the <laughs> dutch now <laughs> so they have their own um it's a much uh it's a much inferior navy compared to Spain, but yeah. because of how shallow the water is around the Netherlands. But they've got the homeland advantage. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they're in shallow waters and the Spanish galleons can't go into them. So yeah. they're constantly like flying by, shooting at them and then running off. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so basically Spain, Spain's kind of left. Um, With their fucking dicks in their hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're, uh, Hi. <laughs> so Spain's kind of, they're just sitting ducks. Yeah. In the port of Calais. Right yeah, because they didn't plan well. They're like, we are mighty and we will win. And then England was like, will you? <laughs> so it's around midnight that English ships caught up to the Armada again. And they end up setting loose eight fire ships into the harbor where the, where the Armada was anchored. Um, so these ships were loaded with pitch, brimstone, gunpowder, and tar. And the idea was you set them on fire. And they run into the, all the other ships yes. and make them go boom. <laughs> um, so basically what ends up happening is the winds, they pick up. They they do set these boats on fire in a huge inferno rages. Yes. And it's coming straight for the Spanish ships. Can you imagine? You're like, guys, guys. Oh my God, guys. <laughs> And this is at night too. Ooh, so it's so, even more fun. So think of um the Battle of Blackwater yeah. in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I love how you always have Game of Thrones. It, it's just it's something I know that people watch yeah. and they can visualize. So despite the inferno that raged on the English fire ships, none of the Spanish ships actually caught fire. God damn it. <laughs> but the sight of the incoming inferno broke the discipline of the Spanish Navy. Um, and they end up cutting their anchor cables to break away from the fleet before the fire ships can hit. Ooh. So what ends up happening is that in the confusion that followed, Spanish ships ended up colliding with one another in their <laughs> attempts to flee in the darkness. Oh my god! <laughs> At the end of the scuffle, Spain lost 11 ships and 2,000 men. England lost zero ships and only 50 men. Wow. Are you embarrassed, Spain? Because you should be. The following morning saw one final engagement between English and Spanish forces that faced off against one another during the Battle of the Grave Lines. Unfavorable winds intervened, favoring the English position and proving disastrous for the Spanish Armada. By the end of the engagement, the Spanish fleet was completely scattered by what the English would later dub the Protestant winds oh my God. and pushed into the North Sea. Um, 
to the north. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they're basically pushed up into into the sea that's on the east. So of was like, what? What England is happening? <laughs> yep. Hi, Loki. So to get back home, those remaining in the Spanish fleet had to sail all the way around England, Scotland, and Ireland to get back to Lisbon. Sirs, you're right. They had initially set off with 150 ships. They returned with only 65. And the Spanish had lost two-thirds of their men. That's upsetting for the Spanish. Now, as the Battle of the Gravelines was raging on, English troops waited anxiously in the city of Tilbury. Tilbury. <laughs> prepped in case the Spanish won and made landfall on English soil. So the whole time that battle is raging, nobody in England knows what's going on yet. Oh, jeez. Tilbury was one of the coastal cities closest to London. If you pull up your map, I'll point it out to you. And so English troops stationed here were prepared to lay down their lives and block the way to London um, if necessary. Robert Dudley had been placed in charge of the troops here and invited Elizabeth to visit the camp to inspect her troops and boost their morale. Um, So predictably, Elizabeth's counselors did not want her going um, because it would put her like in physical danger if they landed. Yeah. But she predictably refused and went anyway. Oh, so I was like, just why do we even bother? Like, why do we even bother telling her no? <laughs> a master of the art of theatrics and spectacle, yes, Elizabeth arrived so to hear this. <laughs> while riding a white horse dressed oh. in a white velvet gown and clad in a silver breastplate that glinted in the sun. Yes. Drummers and pipers played to the arrival of the queen, heralding Elizabeth as an angel of deliverance, come to bless their cause amidst banners fluttering in the wind and anticipation thick in the air. That is like Joan of Arc type shit. Well, yeah. So anytime any movie covers the Spanish Armada, like that is the scene in the movie. I remember seeing, yeah. um, what the, what the ask her name? The one who played Galadriel. Oh, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. I remember. I want to rewatch it now. Yeah. And I remember that that scene very vividly. Elizabeth then gave a speech to her men, promising the following. My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to arm multitudes for fear of treachery. But I assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. I know I have the body, but of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm. Yes. The speech proved so inspiring to the men that Dudley had it written down, copied, printed, and and redistributed in the days that followed. Dang. And that's why that speech comes down to us to this day. Heck yes. Dudley's like, girl, I have goosebumps (laughs) and I want you right now. Elizabeth's counselors once again encouraged Elizabeth to return to London in safety, still not having learned of the English victory in the Channel and fearing the invasion was still pending. They're like, okay, you said your speech, please go. (laughs) But Elizabeth refused to leave, having already resolved to fight with her people if need be. She's like, I just told them. (laughs) But as it turned out, she never had to. Thank God. At the end of the day, the big battle with the Spanish Armada never even made it to English shores, and in many ways may actually be one of the most anticlimactic battles in history. Oh, no. <laughs> Spain had been defeated by fickle winds, and Philip was embarrassed and despondent when news of the defeat reached Spain. Oh, poor Philip. Apparently all of his people were, like, super depressed, too, and they wore um, the colors of mourning in the streets as well. Yeah, they're they mourning were. his freaking dignity and his pride. <laughs> And his ego. 
So Elizabeth had very little time to celebrate her country's victory. Um, Robert Dudley had been lauded as a hero, but less than a month after the victory, uh, it was announced that he passed away. Oh, no. From what modern day historians suspect was stomach cancer. Oh, poor Dudley. Bye, Dudley. Elizabeth was despondent, falling into an inconsolable depression that had her self-isolating in her room for several days where she refused to see anyone. The last letter penned by Dudley soon found itself forever enshrined in a small jewelry box she kept next to her bed with the words, his last letter written on it. Oh, that's so sad. She kept it there till the day she died. Oh. Robert Dudley had been the love of Elizabeth's life and a constant companion to her for the past 30 years. After his death, it was said that much of the vibrancy and life that Elizabeth had been so full of seemed to have left her. Oh, shoot. In his will, Dudley had left his beloved queen a diamond and emerald pendant and a rope of 600 pearls. Jeez, that's a lot of pearls. The latter of which is seen in the famed Armada portrait of Elizabeth that was painted by George Gower. Thank you. To his wife, Letty Snowles, he left only debt. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are pretty. See the pearls. That is very excessive. We'll include that portrait. It is also very excessive on the bows on that dress. (laughs) Yeah, you need to calm. (laughs) Everything about Elizabeth is excessive at this point. I love that teardrop pearl at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how heavy that necklace would be? Yeah, bro, you left me weight. Probably had to like you left me a weight. (laughs) It's a a wonder none of them like are perpetually humpbacked. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Following the victory against the Spanish Armada, Elizabeth's fame grew all across Europe with even the Catholic princes singing her praise. Oh, wow. Henry III of France claimed this victory placed Elizabeth amongst the greatest victors remembered by history. Over in Rome, Pope Sixtus V said of Elizabeth, She certainly is a great queen, and were she only a Catholic, she would be our dearly beloved daughter. Oh, for fuck's sake, just get over it. She's awesome. She is only a woman, only mistress of half an island, and yet she makes herself feared by Spain, by France, by the Empire, by all. Bro, don't even lie. She tickles your fancy. (laughs) (laughs) This victory would mark the zenith of Elizabeth's fame, making her a celebrity in her own time all around Europe and ushering in a new era of education, poetry, art, and theater that would later go on to be known as the English Renaissance and um, the Elizabethan era. Yes! In 1590, Elizabeth lost yet another of her close advisors when Sir Francis Walsingham passed away. Having served Elizabeth faithfully for decades, his legacy had been a network of over 50 informants across Europe that had thwarted several plots made against the Queen's life. With several of her long-standing companions and counselors passing from this life to the next, new vacancies emerged in court as a new generation of fresh blood schemed to fill them. So you, we've got some new names oh now, new people to meet. Can you imagine, though, like, she's she's had these people at her side the entire time, and then to lose them, that kind yeah. of, like, I feel like that would kind of feel like you're, like, freaked out that your reign is coming to an end, kind of, you know what I mean? Well, here's where it gets interesting. So we have two main rivals that emerge at this point, and they are related to her previous two. Rivals of hers or rivals of each other? Of each other okay. on the court. So on the one side, you have Robert Dudley's stepson, Robert Devereux. Stop it. He named his child? Oh, God. Okay. Stepson. I... So this oh, is okay. Letice's okay. son. I'm less mad about it. <laughs> um... He emerged to fill Robert's vacancy. In Devereux, Elizabeth found a similarly hot-headed companion, but in time, Devereux would prove to be more restless and volatile than Dudley had been. 
I always think of Robert Dudley as like the epitome of a water sign. He's very passionate, but he's like more quiet about it. Yeah. And he's, he falls under her heel very easily. Yeah. Devereaux was the opposite. Well, because we're going to get it. Because Dudley. He's like a fire. Dudley was like connected to Elizabeth. So he was very much like, okay, babe, we'll do what you want. And whereas this. You're my queen, but I also love you. Yeah. But this, that is missing in Devereaux. So it's. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a hot-headed butthead. (laughs) Devereaux was ambitious and eager for glory and thus pressed Elizabeth to adopt a more aggressive tactic against Spain so that he might earn his own fame on the battlefield. Elizabeth is like, bitch. It has been working thus far. We mustn't change it. (laughs) Elizabeth was by now a good judge of men and knew Devereaux to be too impulsive and headstrong to be leading military campaigns. Yeah. And thus often forbade him from leaving court. (laughs) Devereaux developed a habit of running away from court every time she upbraided him and she'd have to send envoys off to chase him down and drag him back home. So he's very much like his stepfather. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You yelled at me in front of court. I'm going to go sulk somewhere else. (laughs) In one of these doomed military engagements, England sent its own armada after Spain to try and defeat it once and for all. Wow. This endeavor had proved disastrous to both English coffers and lives, with estimates ranging from 4,000 to 11,000 English deaths. Whoa! Devereux returned to London with his tail between his legs, resentful of the leash Elizabeth kept on him, but equally territorial of anyone that emerged to usurp his place as her favorite. On the other side... Uh-huh. His rival would end up being William Cecil's son, Robert Cecil. Oh, for fuck's sake. Just as William Cecil proved to be a foil to Robert Dudley's ambition, so too did his son end up filling a similar role. Oh, no. Um, so a little interesting tidbit about Robert Cecil. He had scoliosis and was famously hunchbacked as a child. Oh. So people always made fun of him. Good. Um, But as it turned out, he had inherited his father's aptitude for politics and proved to be more grounded and prudent than the hot-headed Devereaux. Okay. It's literally the sons against each other in the same exact position. That's hilarious. (laughs) Ever the champion of insulting pet names, (laughs) Elizabeth referred to Robert Cecil as my pygmy. But in time, she would come to rely on his intelligence and counsel just as much as she did his father's. Um, William Cecil is still very much alive at this time, too, so they're together Okay. in their own, like, little faction. Mm-hmm. He is getting older, though, yeah. so he needs help. Yeah. yeah. Over in France, the formidable Catherine de' Medici finally succumbed to old age um, and possibly exhaustion no. from keeping all of her children in check. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm dirty, people. And she passed away. <laughs> Not long after, the last of her sons, Henry III, was assassinated by a monk in retaliation for Henry's murder of the Duke of Guise. Remember that? Yes, I do. Um, Fucking Guise is Catherine de' Medici part four. (laughs) You want that crazy scandal. (laughs) Actually, most of you probably have heard the Catherine de' Medici episodes because they're our most popular ones. (laughs) You guys are thoroughly enjoying those. Thanks. (laughs) With the fall of the Valois dynasty came the rise of the Bourbons as the Protestant king of Navarre inherited the French throne from his cousin and became Henry IV and the first of the Bourbon kings. Henry's throne was far from secure, though, as he was constantly plagued by Catholic fanatics within his own country. You can't escape it. Horrified at the notion of a Protestant monarch for a neighbor, Philip II continued to fund Catholic conspiracies and Henry IV's court to undermine and remove him. Yeah, because he has PTSD from being freaking thwarted (laughs) by Elizabeth so many times. Not only is she a Protestant, but she's the woman 
And she likes her subjects. <laughs> the concept. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> Elizabeth was eager to preserve the new Protestant-leading monarchy in France, in part to keep it as a buffer between England and Spain, and committed English forces to France for the next five years to help secure the new French king's throne. All right. Predictably, Devereux was eager to be given command of the endeavor and begged Elizabeth to give him leave to go to France. She's like, please, no, please don't. <laughs> so she's like, you going to lose this she, one? <laughs> she refuses over and over. And apparently at one point he like begs an audience with her and begs on his knees for two hours. Gee, I mean, for that's, her to let him go. Sure, I guess. <laughs> He's very passionate about this. I think it's funny, though, too, that his his dad and himself are both terrible at military stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Runs in the step family. <laughs> Eventually, she does relent, but she, she did at one point say that he was too impetuous to be given the reins. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> like, I would be like, you're, you're too into this for me to want to send you. You understand that, right? Like... She, the thing about Elizabeth that I do want you guys to understand is she did love him in her own way. I mean, probably because he reminded her of Dudley. So she's, she's going back and forth between basically being like, I know your nature. I'm doing this for your own good. But he's just like, you're just this older woman who doesn't know any better. And you're keeping me from my my glory. No, boy, you're too hot headed to think straight. (laughs) When it came to England's relationship with Spain, tensions were never relieved, and Philip would prove to be a bitter enemy of Elizabeth's for the duration of her reign. Yeah, because he can't let shit go. Both countries would spend the next decade rebuilding their respective navies. England's tactic was to organize fast raids against the famed Spanish treasure ships that traveled back and forth between Spain and the East Indies. Sir Francis Drake is like, I'm on it. (laughs) Pick me, pick me. (laughs) And Philip would continue to threaten a new invasion practically every other year. And almost like clockwork, any time Philip managed to send his armada off towards England, the famed Protestant winds would beat them back. Elizabeth is like, God doesn't want you to do this! <laughs> and each and every time, it either completely oh, scattered the Spanish fleet or it destroyed their ships. Even his fleet is like, can we please stop trying? Can we please <laughs> stop trying? Like, the winds don't want us to do this. <laughs> it's so interesting to think oh. these people, like, see natural events as like signs from the gods at I that see point it as a sign i i'm like at that point how how do you not see that this is not supposed to happen because rachel <laughs> when religious people see signs if they don't go with their agenda it's not a sign from god it's a sign from the devil fair <laughs> the devil's wins yeah, yeah. <laughs> the devil thwarted us but next time god will be on our side speaking of francis drake <laughs> in 1595 Francis Drake died during another raid against Spanish ships. Why would you do that to me? (laughs) Outside of Panama. Um, He succumbed to an ancient enemy that had taken many great men well before their time since the Middle Ages. Oh my god, dis something. Dysentery. Dysentery, yes. I was going to say distemper. I was like, that's not it. Don't drink the water, Don't drink the water, guys. Dead bodies in it. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he dies of dysentery. That's upsetting. It is. Like, that's horrible. True to his mariner roots, Francis Drake was granted a burial at sea in a lead-lined coffin. His final resting place has never been found, but divers continue to search for it to this day. You want to know how I know all the things I know about Sir Francis Drake? Because of Grace O'Malley? Nope. Oh. 
because of Uncharted, the games. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's how I am with some of <sighs> well, yeah, the Assassin's Creed. Sir stuff Francis Drake was his it. like ancestor, so nice. he's like searching for Sir Francis Drake's treasures, and yeah, pretty cool. That is anyway, cool. I like it. Video <laughs> Weird games tidbit. are awesome. Video games are great. <laughs> With Francis Drake's death came another vacancy that Devereux was all too eager to fill. In 1596, Devereux was granted command of the English Armada and finally earned his fame by raiding the Spanish city of Cadiz. According to eyewitnesses of the event, Devereux had scaled the walls of the city of Cadiz (laughs) single-handedly. The raid proved to be very fruitful for the English, but it would also be regarded as one of England's most ruthless raids. So although the people of Cadiz themselves were said to be spared, English forces destroyed several churches and hospitals and burned a total of 290 homes. Why you gotta do that? Those are dicks. That's Devereux, yeah. He just wants the glory and he's probably like Well, that's what happens if you don't have somebody in command who inspires discipline. Well, also who is doing it for the right reasons this bitch only wants glory so of course he's gonna burn things and on the one hand not care about if, human life if you're going after treasure the place you go is the churches i don't True, know what you the don't point, need to burn them i don't know what the point of attacking hospitals is though because you're an asshole yeah <laughs> agreed yeah <laughs> The economic losses sustained by Cadiz resulted in total bankruptcy for the city. When Devereux returned home, it was as a hero. He was heralded as the new Francis Drake of his era, and predictably, the fame went to his head. He had one victory! (laughs) You can't call him Francis Drake with one fucking victory! They did. (laughs) It was the second coming, probably because it happened. Probably right around his death, yeah. Yeah. I know. And of course, you knew this was going to go to his head. Like, no one's surprised. It's, or it's about to get worse. Oh, you ready? I don't like you. Ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Elizabeth had been as weary of Devereux as she was enchanted with him. Again, likely because he reminded her of Robert Dudley in his youth. Devereux's ambitions... Cecil's like, let it go. <laughs> ...knew no bounds. And she feared that his newfound celebrity and fame would strengthen his power base and inflate his aspirations. Yeah. In addition to thirsting for any glory he might attain through military campaign, Devereux famously used his influence and favor with Elizabeth to try and elevate the status of his good friend, Francis Bacon. So What? <laughs> his name is Francis Bacon? I'm only going to see a walking bacon with eyes. This now. is our third name to remember. Walking bacon with eyes. So although Francis Bacon would go on to become one of Elizabeth's last trusted advisors, she was notoriously cold towards him in the beginning and snubbed him, mm-hmm. refusing him every office that Devereux attempted to put forth for him. Mm-hmm. This would always lead to another round of fighting between Elizabeth and Devereux, with Devereux throwing his temper tantrums and fleeing court. He would <laughs> sulk away in one of his many estates until Elizabeth eventually grew lonely again and begged him to return. Oh, no. Their relationship is so toxic. It's <sighs> it's like 10 times worse. Well, it's, than... it's just Elizabeth has so few people she can really trust. And she's leaning on the fact that he is Dudley's stepson. So she's got this fantasy that he's just like Dudley and he's he loves me just as much as Dudley loved me. And so I'm going to lean on him. And then she just excuses everything. The irony... I say like I know Elizabeth. (laughs) The irony of him trying to push for Francis Bacon um, is that Francis Bacon would constantly counsel temperance and deference to Elizabeth. He understood that to outshine her or challenge her too hard or openly before the court would result in loss of favor. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But did Devereux heed his advice? Of course not. Nope. 
He's a hot-headed <laughs> dumbass. During one of their famous scuffles, Elizabeth had refused to name Devereux's uncle, Sir William Nollies, as the Lord Deputy of Ireland. There's like three names. <laughs> there really is. <laughs> At the height of their quarrel, Devereux turned his back on Elizabeth in a severe show of disrespect, and she retaliated by boxing his ears. Ooh! Devereux girl. was so humiliated by Elizabeth that in his rage he reached for his sword <gasps> and swore at the queen saying, I neither can nor will put up with so great an affront, nor would I have borne it from your father's hands. Oh, honey, you just said that to the queen. You're not going to last very long. One of the, one of Elizabeth's advisors had to step between her and Devereux before he could strike her while Elizabeth stared on in stunned silence. Devereux stormed off from court again. The volatility of their relationship coupled with Devereux's unbridled ambition and likely misogynistic resentment towards having to serve a woman made for a dangerous combination. Yeah, because anyone else who put their hand on their sword in front of the queen, I thought you weren't allowed to be executed. armed in front of the queen. I, I, if it's your privy council, I mean, I mean... Especially don't arm them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a lot of people did expect her to throw him in the Tower of London. At but the very least. She basically just decided to deal with the situation by never referring to it again. That's but she, not okay. She was very unsettled by it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to keep that hot-tempered person around you. That's not great. Francis Bacon notoriously began to distance himself from Devereaux at this point. <laughs> He's like, and I'm going to be over here with the Cecil crew. <laughs> Speaking of Cecil. Oh, great. <laughs> in late 1599, Don't you dare. William Cecil, no. Elizabeth's most trusted advisor for over 40 years, finally succumbed to decades of exhaustion from being overworked by his queen. I'm upset by this. Like, I'm upset by Cecil's death. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this, this part's sweet, though. Oh, okay. So in his final days, he was too weak to even lift a spoon. Oh, and so Elizabeth sat by his bedside and fed him soup. Stop it. Yeah. I want this relationship. No. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Rachel, if you don't feed me at my deathbed, because we all know I'm going to die before you, um, I'm going to be so upset. I will haunt you for the rest of my life. Like, I will make <laughs> butters, like, <laughs> run all around. I'm like, butters, open that drawer. Now open that drawer. Butters, that one too. <laughs> oh my God. You show up. It's like, um, a Christmas carol, but you have William Cecil with you, and yeah. you're like, you were supposed to do this. <laughs> you were supposed to do this. And Elizabeth's uh, behind me like, yeah, I don't know what's happening, but yeah. <laughs> when he died, he was the last counselor remaining from her youth. All that was left to her now was a court full of ambitious young men who were growing impatient with Elizabeth's prudent style of Can rule. Can you imagine? Like, you're surrounded yeah. by people who you can't trust. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Robert Cecil's pretty trustworthy. I mean, but still, yeah. it's not William. <laughs> Elizabeth was devastated by his death, dubbed the father of England by contemporaries of the time. Elizabeth honored his life with a large funeral ceremony at Westminster Abbey, where he was held in state as if a king in his own right. Because he was her king, basically. Like, <laughs> oh, you <know>. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Elizabeth also acknowledged, um, that much herself by saying no prince of Europe hath such a counseling. Oh, stop it. I got goosebumps. <laughs> Just as she had lost one of her greatest allies, time also took her greatest enemy. 
A few months later, Philip II died of cancer after having been ravaged by painful ulcers all over his body. I know I was just saying that we shouldn't celebrate death. <laughs> but I'm not sad to see this one go. Yeah, he's <laughs> He was heinous. a tyrant and a total awful person. <laughs> I love that you now know who these people are. Yeah. Like you make, whenever you watch these shows now, you're going to be like, One of the last challenges to Elizabeth's reign occurred a little closer to home in Ireland. Oh, no. Elizabeth followed in the footsteps of her father, brother, and sister by trying to subdue the rebellious Irish, but it was always a volatile endeavor. We need chaos in our lives. (laughs) With the rise of Irish Gaelic Lord Hugh O'Neill, Earl of... It's Tyrone, but it's Irish, so (laughs) it might be like... Came a century's worth of frustration bubbling to the surface and stinking of rebellion. Oh, no. O'Neill managed to unite his Irish countrymen against their English overlords. O'Neill championed for the freedom to worship as they chose, because they are Catholic. Okay. The right to appoint their own government officials and the complete removal of English troops from Irish soil. Elizabeth knew she needed a strong-handed commander to assign to the post of Lord Deputy if she wanted to bring O'Neill to heel. In the end, she and Devereux reconciled long enough to grant him the appointment after much more arguing and more great resistance on her part. But he just kind of dwindled her down or beat her, not beat her down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He wore her down. He wore her down. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) A little less violent. It was a monumental task as no Lord Deputy assigned to Ireland in the past had ever managed to cow the Irish successfully. What could possibly go wrong with appointing a narcissistic, vainglorious, fallen favorite with dubious loyalties and an unstable disposition? Hmm, I don't know, everything? (laughs) When Devereux left London for Ireland, it was to cheers in the streets from Londoners, eager to see their champion bring the troublesome Irish to heel. Oh god, you guys, he's failed in literally every political campaign, save one, and you made him a hero. (laughs) In the distance, as he's leaving with his army, there are thunderclouds. And Francis... <laughs> Everyone's like, do we not? Signs are good. <laughs> Francis Bacon famously observed it was a dark omen for Devereux's fate. Yeah. When he left England... Do it you had... think Elizabeth was like, if he goes there, he'll die. And then I don't have to deal with him. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's like, but he's also... hot-headed enough. And yeah. send him to Ireland where they're all fucking hot-headed. Yeah. And... <laughs> When Devereux left England, it had been with the largest army Elizabeth had ever sent into Ireland. Oh, no. Everyone expected Devereux to crush the rebellion instantly, but it turned out to be a colossal disaster. Yeah, like every other campaign he's led. (laughs) Devereux's arrogance grossly underestimated the military prowess of the Irish, and his own mismanagement of his forces resulted in financial ruin and embarrassment. Weird how a hot-headed asshole didn't fucking think things through and lost everything. Devereux had started with 16,000 troops. Oh, no. Don't tell By me the again. end of his campaign, he had 4,000 men left and oh. was already pleading with Elizabeth to send reinforcements. She's like, do you remember how many people I sent your way? Oh, my gosh. As failure after failure mounted up, Devereux convinced himself that his rivals back in England, spearheaded by the Cecils, were undermining his effort and poisoning the queen against him while he was absent in Ireland. Cecil's like, we don't have to. Like, you're (laughs) doing that by yourself. Thank you. But, like, we're not lifting a finger. (laughs) 
Rather than self-reflect on his own failures, nope. Devereaux's plotting grew more and more erratic as he tried to claw his way out of the huge He's hole like, he had dug for himself. He's going to get paranoid. And, oh, God. Devereaux complained of the conspiracy he feared awaited him back in England from Elizabeth's wicked counselors to his men. Elizabeth's like, you should be concerned about me when you get back. <laughs> he then devised his own scheme to abandon Ireland and return to England where he intended to physically remove Robert Cecil from power and take the queen into custody oh. until all his adversaries were dealt with. What the shit, Carl? His this men is aggressive. <laughs> His men challenged that Elizabeth would not let him return home until the situation with O'Neill was dealt with once and for all. In the end, Devereux sued for peace and met with O'Neill to arrange a truce that was deeply unfavorable to England. Oh, come on. Elizabeth was enraged when she heard of the meeting. Yeah, um, she's like, you don't get to deal truces. <laughs> so this meeting occurred, like, out in the open somewhere, but Sounds Devereux... <laughs> Wouldn't let anyone witness it. Oh, for fuck's sake. So nobody sake. knows what was actually said between the two. Huh. Yes. Little, that's a little, it's a little sketch. Still to this day, nobody knows. Interesting. <laughs> He's like, look, um, I've embarrassed myself enough. Can you please help me? <laughs> and um, Elizabeth was both enraged and honestly startled by hearing this. And at that point, she's beginning to think he's trying to work with O'Neill to go against her. Yeah, that is the first thing that would come to my mind as well. And so she forbade him from returning to England until O'Neill had been dealt with properly. Oh, hell yeah. But predictably, uh, Devereaux ignored her command. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> he returned to England not long after, effectively deserting his post and abandoning his army in Ireland. Wow. Once back in England, Devereux made a mad dash for London to get to Elizabeth before word of his deeds back in Ireland could reach her. She's like, I already know. <laughs> this is another very famous scene from Elizabeth's life, um, especially at the end of her reign, and it gets dramatized in most of the movies you see. Okay. Devereux was said to have burst into her bedchamber during the early hours of the morning. You can't do that. Caked in dirt and mud and completely in disarray. In his desperation to reach her, he forgot himself and intruded upon her before she had put on the queenly costume and accessories that concealed her age. Wow. Now in her mid-60s, Elizabeth wore wigs to conceal her thin gray hair and caked on makeup to conceal her pox scars. Yeah, lead, leaded makeup. <laughs> and the wrinkles that marked her age. Devereaux managed to stumble upon her bear, likely seeing her in a state that few people outside of her bedchamber maids had ever seen. Dang. So you're fucked. <laughs> Elizabeth was stunned, but held her composure as Devereaux pleaded his case again on bended knee. Stop. No. Just throw him out of your window. <laughs> he had no idea of the torrent that raged inside her, not only from embarrassment and shame, but also due to her fear that he might have come to usurp her. Yeah. Can you imagine she, like, is afraid that he yeah. is working on a deal and then he bursts into yeah. her chamber like that? She's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Elizabeth was known for her composure in these, like, yeah. very um, tense moments. Yeah, that's why she was so great, because that yeah. probably threw a lot of her adversaries off because they're like expecting a hysterical woman and here's this calm before the storm and they're like oh oh god <laughs> um so when he initially left he was under the impression that they were okay no because she again you lost a lot of men away and <laughs> but she ends up having him put under house arrest at that point um to wait at the queen's pleasure until she could figure out what to do with him Ooh. Elizabeth was greatly disturbed by the display, and she would later go on to voice her fears by saying, By God's son, I am no queen. That man is above me. 
<laughs> Devereaux wrote fervent letters to Elizabeth, pleading her forgiveness and pledging his undying loyalty to her one moment, and then writing scathing letters of reproach and complaining that her evil counselors poisoned her against him the next. Literally, that should freak you out. That duality right He's, there. Yeah, something's very wrong. Unstable. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It was not long before Devereux was contemplating treason in earnest and managed to gather to his side every malcontent left in England to his cause. Oh my god, do not have this be another Mary Stuart. Just end it now. This included fanatical Protestants and Catholics, both nobles that had been snubbed at court and disgraced soldiers that had deserted their posts in Ireland. So people who are upset over nothing. <laughs> Robert Cecil had inherited the vast spy network created by his father in Walsingham, and so was notified of the plot every step of the way. Like <laughs> his predecessors like laughing, before like... <laughs> him had done with Mary, Queen of Scots, Ce Cecil simply waited for Devereux to craft the noose to hang himself with. Yeah, he didn't need to lift a finger. He's like, you're doing this for me, dude. When the time came for Devereux to stage his coup, Devereux was approached by four of the Queen's messengers and took them into custody. His followers went to the Globe Theater and instructed Shakespeare and his troop of actors to stage a performance of Richard II, with the scene previously banned by Elizabeth because it involved the deposition of a king. Ooh. And then he marched towards the castle with the intent to take Elizabeth into custody. Devereux expected the people of London to rally with him and for him as, as their champion, but in the end underestimated their willingness to rise against their queen. Yeah. And Cecil had anticipated the whole thing and instructed the people of London to stay indoors that day. Can you imagine marching up, like thinking you're going to like rally yes. all these people and no one's there. You're like, maybe like we um, should, you know what? I forgot the stove on again. <laughs> Realizing he was abandoned and alone. He retreated to his house in the city to burn all incriminating correspondences on hand and then surrendered when the Queen's men showed up at his door. Please don't, I'm not going to say it. I want him to, suffer for this but <sighs> <laughs> I think I was telling you that like I wasn't sure what would be left after the armada and then all this came up and I was like damn damn <laughs> Devereux and his conspirators were put on trial two weeks later the trial was short as the evidence against Devereux was damning the worst of it had been delivered by his former friend Francis Bacon Bacon would go on to say, I loved my Lord of Essex as long as he continued a dutiful subject. I have spent more hours to make him a good subject to Her Majesty than I have my own business. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. In the end, Devereux was convicted of treason and conspiring to depose and slay the queen and subvert the government and to usurp the crown for himself. That is problematic for you, dude. In his final hours, Devereux determined to take down as many people as he could, including his own sister, by claiming she was a co-conspirator. Dude, let it lie. Like, you fucked up and you got caught. Like, he ain't dead yet. Ugh. <laughs> Wanting to get the last word in before his death, Devereux was asked to make a full confession, and he obliged by declaring the following. Oh, no. I am the greatest, vilest, and most unthankful traitor that ever has been in this land. The queen could never be saved so long as I lived. I mean, I guess you double, like you doubled down. You're like, if, if you're gonna make me the, well, we didn't make you the villain, bro. <laughs> if you're you gonna yourself. see me as the villain, I will go down a villain. I mean, I guess you did something right in your life. You <laughs> took uh, responsibility, even if it was just to make yourself look more hot-headed. <laughs> 
When faced with signing the death warrants of the likes of the Duke of Norfolk and Mary Queen of Scots, Elizabeth was famously reluctant to sign them. This one, she's like, give me the pen. Where's the pen? Where's the quill? <laughs> when it came to Devereux's death warrant, she signed it in a firm hand and without ceremony. Yeah, you know, he, he had a lot of She chances. still did the whole, like, wait, come back. She but... probably <laughs> felt betrayed because yeah. this was her, in essence, second chance Dudley, and he just completely disappointed her at every turn. He was not Dudley. <laughs> Devereux was sentenced to a traitor's death, which would have included being hung and quartered, but Elizabeth commuted it down to a beheading. Okay, I guess. Elizabeth was notably depressed and melancholy following the death of Devereux. She lamented the fact that he had been his own worst enemy, but he had once been a friend and a favored companion. Although it pained her to speak of him after, she was said to have worn a ring that he gifted her right up to her death. Elizabeth had inherited a kingdom in conflict with itself as much as it had been with its neighbors. At the height of her reign, she had managed to earn her people's love and usher in an era named for her that celebrated poetry, learning, theology, art, and theater. For a time, it seemed as though the sun would never set on England and her prosperity. By the end of her reign, England was plagued with several years of drought and famine. Uh Uh-oh. The people, like Elizabeth's own counselors, grew frustrated and weary of the reign of an old woman who seemed anachronistic for her time by the turn of the 17th century. She can't do much about famine and plague. Like, (laughs) Having outlived so many people in her life had left Elizabeth with a deep melancholia that had herself isolating in her last months. I feel like the death of Devereux, too, and like the way that closed, Mm -hmm. that was like the death of her hope for this new and up up and coming court i think she finally was just like well i guess we'll just hang out here (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah (laughs) she probably was disheartened with the melancholy went her health and by the last days of her reign she had developed ulcers in her throat that made it difficult for her to speak or swallow food oh no i will say that up until this point where her final illness kicks in um even in the last year of her life she is still leading those um hundreds of mile processions around the country she's amazing she's still holding feasts and banquets and um jousts every single year on queen's day that's awesome right up to the bitter end elizabeth still refused to officially name a successor though most were of the understanding that she was partial to mary stewart's son james the sixth over in scotland james like the people of england grew restless waiting for her to pass from this mortal realm james you already have a kingdom don't be like your mom. <laughs> On March 24th, 1603, she finally passed, surrounded by the few friends that remained to her and a priest at her side. Oh, wow. And it was said that, like, in those final moments, they asked her once more, who do you name your successor? She couldn't talk, so she made a crown above her head to signify James. Huh. Okay. okay. That's the legend. How did that signify James? Because um, he wears crown. So does every fucking monarch. No, but there's there's people in England who aren't oh, kings okay. or queens. So that was her way of saying James. Oh, That's the legend. Okay. Good. Thank God I wasn't by her bed and had to interpret <laughs> that. I would have been like, what does that mean? <laughs> Eager to ensure a smooth succession, Robert Cecil had people at the ready to ride hard for Scotland the moment Elizabeth breathed her last breath. Yeah. Three days later, James VI received news that he was now the king of England and scotland and ireland and apparently france stop it (laughs) jesus you're just like your mom (laughs) but like less annoying about it i guess upon ascending the throne he would officially unite the two crowns of england and scotland once and for all so not like your mom 
The people were eager and ready for a new reign. The James would go on to inherit a new set of problems, and in time, people would lament in the streets that things had changed since the good and just reign of their beloved queen. Ugh. Good Queen Bess was forever enshrined in the hearts of her people after that. She had managed to deftly navigate the precarious religious landscape inherited from her predecessors, survived several attempts made against her life and her throne throughout the duration of her reign, and elevate England to a new level of respect across Europe as both a formidable naval power and cultural powerhouse. Elizabeth was keenly aware of how perilous the Game of Thrones could be and did not regard the responsibility of governance lightly. She famously said, To be a king and wear a crown is more glorious to them that see it than it is a pleasure to them that bear it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In an age when female rulers were viewed as weak and people doubted their ability to govern with any kind of success, Elizabeth emerged to prove them wrong. And so I will leave you once more with her own words to conclude her story. Okay. And I know I said these before when I talked about her armada speech, but it's perfect for yeah. her. I may have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> and that is the story of Elizabeth Tudor. Hell yeah. The bastard daughter. I'm proud of you. you of it. Henry you VIII. Got it. Four parts. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I really thought it would go to five. <laughs> It could have with this last part. I cut so much. I still can't believe it always floors me. I know we've been doing this for like two years and this shouldn't floor me anymore, but royalty can't even die in peace. Mm -mm. Like you can't even die peacefully because yeah. everyone's like, we still need things from you. And she's like, I'm dying. Like, I'm like really, I can't even talk anymore. I'm literally letting go of this mortal <laughs> coil and going away. She, so oh, like at gosh. the end, at the end, she was so ready to go, yeah. and she was just, like, refusing food, and, like, her body wouldn't let her die. Oh, because she's too formidable it, to die. <laughs> like, dragged on for weeks. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah. It's terrible. I have a meme here because I think it perfectly describes yes. Elizabeth, and people have seen it on the internet, I'm sure, but mm -hmm. it's, what's a queen without her king? Well, historically speaking, more powerful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only if she has William Cecil at her side. <laughs> um, this painting... It's one of the last portraits of her that she was made done. and it shows her mortality coming for her and yeah. how she's like weary of it, but also like, she's Hello. ready. Yeah. She is ready. <laughs> Take me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of the last ones done of her. It's an interesting portrait because it has, mm -hmm. oh, it looks like Jesus. I know it's not, I don't know what that is, but on the right it has a <laughs> cupids. <laughs> yeah. A skeleton and then the cupids have her crown. Yeah, it's just interesting. She's just a woman. She stuck. looks done. She's like so done. She looks done. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. What happened with Devereaux probably broke her. Broke her spirit. Yeah. yeah. So sad. Fuck you, Devereaux. So that is the conclusion of our four part series. Of our four part series of Elizabeth, but also our Wars of Religion series. Yes. Now you really get to see what happened in the 16th century oh, with yeah. Catholics and Protestants. It's not anything great. The stuff that. <laughs> Elizabeth was dealing with over in Ireland is still an issue to this day that has never been resolved. Good Lord. Yeah. Good Which Lord. is why the Irish rightfully so are fighting for their sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. But we're still mad about our potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. And I like to think of our three major Queens of this time. We had Catherine de Medici, Mary queen of Scots and Elizabeth. Um, I like to relate it to the Florence and the machine song King. Yes. She says, um, I am not mother. I am not bride. I am King. Yes. And so mother 
Catherine de' Medici. Yes. Bride, Mary Queen of Scots. And King. And King. Elizabeth the First. Right. Hell yeah. Will be our first woman to truly rule. Yeah. Completely. On her own. Not completely independent well, of I a mean, man, but she didn't come to power because of yeah. a man. She didn't come to power because of a man. She didn't hold her power because of men. Yes, men helped her, but every king or her, queen has help. Her strength came in understanding that your counselors are important. Yeah. And even if you're going to throw your slippers at them, yeah. you need to have... You need to listen to their Some words. kind of understanding that even if you receive advice that you don't want to hear if it is done in the name of justice and for for the kingdom for the people she listens yeah and a good advisor will speak up Mm -hmm. about things that they know you don't want to hear about and that's why mary queen of scots (laughs) and good counselors will make you cry when they die yes (laughs) you know that story was oh my god i'm so upset (laughs) i'm also upset that elizabeth died obviously (laughs) Oh man, that was a good episode. Thank you. Hell yeah! It I it was like and I wrote it twenty hours Ouch. put into that over the past couple of weeks, Ouch. but I wanted to do it justice. Hell yeah, you did. I think so. you did it justice. I had been um, not wanting to do Elizabeth, not because I didn't like well, just her so much. There's so much yeah. to cover. Yeah, and I was like, this is gonna be a lot. So yeah. <laughs> Um, our next couple of episodes are probably going to be shorter. I am deliberately choosing people that there's not as much information on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just because the research aspect of this um, is a lot of work. Yeah. So if you would like to help support our podcast, oh, yeah. you can do so by rating, reviewing, or subscribing wherever you are listening to this right now. Hell yeah. We are at difficult.damsels at gmail.net. Tom? <laughs> I've done too much talking. We are not that official. <laughs> and then we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Difficult Times of the Podcast. Um, we are currently in the process of trying to figure out how to potentially get some merch. Yeah. And um, also maybe do some kind of monthly subscription program if you would like to donate. To our humble podcast. Yes. Here. We hit two years, so we figured it's time. Yeah. <laughs> you guys still like us, which is weird. <laughs> Thanks for liking us. Thanks. <laughs> um, <sighs> thank you. I think we're good without a random question. No, yeah, I think yeah, I think you took was way she, too much time. No, I'm just kidding. Was she more difficult or damsel? I think she was difficult for <laughs> sure. That's not even a question. She was she didn't even have damsel moments. She did. She was uh Oh, she was used in the beginning forget. of her life. We yeah. forget, yeah, that like okay. She had, but she handled them very well. Very well. But she was imprisoned. Yeah. Um, by her sister, she was potentially molested by yeah. her Thomas surrogate stepfather type figure. Is his name Thomas? Thomas Howard. Yeah. 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 She did. Okay. Everyone she, has damsel moments we, when they're we children. We forget because she's Except for Catherine so de Medici who goes kicking and screaming down the aisle. <sighs> down the, the aisle. <laughs> that was Jean the Queen. Shit. <laughs> Catherine de Medici was um the one in the convent when the oh, yeah, soldiers broke in. And yeah, she yeah, was yeah. like, she, which one of you would still, touch a bride kicking, of God? She still kicked and screamed, all right? <laughs> she did. Yeah. They were all a lot of um, very difficult and formidable women. Elizabeth of this kicked era. and screamed, but she did it 
in such a calm way that you didn't even realize yeah. that she was kicking and screaming. Yeah. Well, You're sometimes like, she was literally. Yeah. Sometimes she was in a rage, and Cecil was just like, "Okay, just for a second. He's like, "Your father is coming out again," and she's like, "I am Henry the Eighth's daughter." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, but can you do it quieter?" <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Hell yeah. So. Come again in two weeks. We'll have a um, special spooky Halloween episode spooky for you. Halloween. And as always, stay difficult. Stay difficult. I always want to say go Hawks when you say that. <laughs>